0: You know we 're going to see in this there are these passages from the Bible this morning um, how one should handle the times that we get put into what I call the pressure cookers of life and whether you want to take that in a literal way or in a figurative way i'm okay with that either way because we're going to begin with with Daniel and some of his friends now keep in mind what's going on in the book of daniel all right there's a lot going on in the book of daniel but um What happened, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, if you were here, when I was talking about Jeremiah. When a country came in and conquered another country in those days, in those years, they did something that really was a pretty, I think think it was a brilliant thing to do, if you're talking about war. And that is they would take the, the strongest, the brightest, the wisest young men from that particular culture and take them back to the conquering country's capital. In this case, it's Babylon. So they've conquered Israel. Judah, as it's called in the Bible, southern, southern Israel. And, um, and they've taken several of the, and really it was a smart thing to do because number one, you've got brain drain. You take all your smart guys out of there and there's not going to be too many rebellions being led by that country that has been conquered, no matter how unhappy people are. And secondly, it kind of gives you a chance to sort of indoctrinate, I don't want to use the word brainwash, but try at least to do that to these smart, young, the, the brightest of the bright of this culture that you have just conquered. That's what's happened here. So Daniel and a, and a bunch of other young Jewish guys have been, have been taken captive back to Babylon. King there is Nebuchadnezzar. They, they're so smart and they're so good and they're so bright that they become people of influence in their particular cabinet. They've been basically placed on what we might call the presidential cabinet, certainly, uh, certainly part of the uh, inner circle in some form or another. They become trusted and so forth. And that's what's going on. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, He's a king of Babylon at this point. He is. Um, he's got an ego problem. He wants. He's. He's going to kind of start his own religion, and he decides to build this. This basically a, a, a tower that's ninety feet long. I think is that right? Ninety feet long, and uh, it's about like fifty feet wide. So it's sort of just long and narrow. And the Egyptians have already built some things like that. If you might, if you know your history, and uh, back in more peaceful times in that part of the world. This is mostly modern Iraq, and, and years ago when they were able to do archaeological digs and so forth, some archaeologists felt like they had found at least the beginnings of what that might have been. That was, they were never able to find out for sure, obviously, because of all the unrest that goes on there right now. But King Nebuchadnezzar is building this, 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 you know, basically a four-story um, um, statue to worship. And he's saying, I want everybody to worship this thing when the music plays. Well, we don't know where Daniel is at this point in time. Daniel's out of town on business or uh, somewhere else or whatever. But his three very close friends, see if you know these names, his three very close friends are there. And, um, well, you'll see, you'll see him right here. Here's what happens. Um, chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 8 of Daniel. But some of the astrologers, which really means dream interpreters, went to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and informed them on the Jews. He's telling them, hey, these guys, uh, these guys aren't worshiping this, this idol that you put up. They're not, they're not calling it an idol, but it's what it is. They're not, worship, they're not worshiping this big, long, gold statue thing, you know? Now, watch what happens in verse 12. This is going to ring a bell with some of you. There are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They're people of influence. They've defied your majesty by refusing to serve your gods or to worship the gold statue you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego he brought before them. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? Watch this. I've heard this a few times in my life. I will give you one more chance. (laughs) I will give you one more chance if you bow down and worship the statue. I have made, and when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, instruments, all will be well. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. What God, small g, will be able to rescue you from my power then? Watch what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If, if we are thrown... Now, watch their wording very carefully here. This is very interesting. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He is able to save us. Okay? He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, they have no clue what's going to happen to them. Even if he doesn't, your majesty can be sure that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully clothed, and because the the king, in, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames leaped out and killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell down into the roaring flames. Verse 24, watch this. Suddenly, as he was watching, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, they said, we did indeed, your majesty. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound. Walking around in the fire, they aren't even hurt by the flames. The fourth looks like a divine being. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted. He's changing his tune here. Watch this. He shouted, "Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the <laughs> servants of the Most High God." Would you say he had a just a real change of heart all of a sudden? <laughs> hey, servants of the Most High God. Come on, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the princes, the prefects, the governors, the advisors crowded around them saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. is that a great story from this historical narrative? I mean, this just great. Now, a couple of notes. I'm gonna come back to this. I just wanna make, get you, make a note of this in your mind right now. They didn't know what, what was in for I mean, and they're wording, you know, we're not going to worship the, your your idols or your your statues. God is able to deliver us, and even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your statues or whatever the heck you got there, all right? So keep that one in your mind, all right? Keep that in the forefront of your mind. I want to keep moving. I want to show you another, about 40 years later, 50 years later, there's a two, we're two kings down the road. Daniel's still in Babylon. Um, Nebuchadnezzar... Bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. We have another guy named Darius, King Darius, king of the Medes and the Persian, Medo-Persian Empire. You can read about him in history. Get insomnia sometime. It's uh, quite, quite, a, quite a character and uh, part of some amazing stuff. At the same time, Daniel had risen in this particular administration to again be a very valuable um, part of, that, of, of King Darius' administration. Okay? And sure enough, there are people, as there always are, whenever you have any success, there will always be people who will be jealous. You've seen it maybe in business or in your family or in places maybe with, with, uh, at your alma mater or whatever it happens to be. People get jealous. They say silly things. They do stupid things and all this. that's happening right here. Here's what happens. Now we turn, again, about 50 years later, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, Daniel at this point is about 80 years old. Back when we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they were around, you know, they in the neighborhood of 20 years old, give or take a few years, okay? And so, so this was quite a few years later. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, when Daniel learned, oh, I didn't tell you this, a law had been passed. A law had been passed. This is King Darius. He's passed a law under the advice of some of his counselors that they're going to worship no other god but the king himself for the next 30 days, right? They passed that law. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, you know, went through Congress, went through the Senate, went through the House, it got signed, and, uh, or something thereof. He went home, he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. The officials went together to Daniel's house. These are the guys that don't like him. And they found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went back to the king and they reminded him about his law. Did you... Not sign a law that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to your majesty, will be thrown to the lions. Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is a law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked. You need to understand, Whenever you, particularly when you read history, the law of the Medes and the Persians, that was like, I mean, they don't go back. There's no compromise. There's no, you know... In, in in my house, I used to every now and then say to my, and they never did quite understand it to to my, especially to my son. You know, there were a lot. We have certain certain things you can't do, but there were. So I said that is according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, meaning we're not compromising on that one, big boy. Okay, so that's you got. You don't have many of those, but you have some of those. Okay, that's the law of the Medes and the Persians right there, and that's sort of a common vernacular in these days as well as not as not today, unless you were raised in a theological idiots home. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's, another, that's another story. Verse 13. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of your captives from Judah is paying no attention to you or your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was very angry. Who's angry with himself? Look at this. He was very angry with himself for signing the law. And he tried to find a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. He's looking for a loophole. You thought know, that was something in our culture, huh? He's looking for a loophole. He's looking for a way. i got to figure out something. I can't put Daniel to death. He's my man. I mean, he, t- he t- takes care of so much for me. So uh, Darius, or Darius, depending on which, which book you read, um, he's like, man, I don't know what to do here. So... In the evening, the men, who, men, the men went together to the king and they said, your majesty knows that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, may your God whom you worship continually rescue you. You know, this isn't part of my talk this morning, but I'll just tell you, wouldn't it be great to have people say that about you? May your God, who you worship continually. I don't know that you can say anything better about a person. And, uh, and that, uh, that's just so good. Very early the next morning, verse 19. By the way, there are some verses in between there. And he talks about how he had a sleepless night and so forth. And for the sake of time, we just are skipping through those. Go back and read it all, though. Very early the next morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel! servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to rescue you from the lions? And then he heard that voice that must have been music to his ears. Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent this angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me for I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. In both of these situations, note god delivered his people in a very obvious way don't get hung up on that i'm going to deal with that in just a minute but he did in this particular situation so here's what i want to talk about just just in a few moments that we have how do you how do i how do we prosper in these pressure cookers of life you know and it might be in your career it might be undergoing some downsizing or some upsizing or some, um, some things where, you know, your age is now a consideration or maybe your income is too much or, or maybe it's not enough or maybe it has something to do with politics or maybe you have guys like Daniel had here who are just jealous of you and they're always at you. A lot of us have experienced that at different times in our lives. Maybe it's some decisions that have to be made. Maybe it's some extended family and they continually kind of put you in the lion's den or, or, or you feel like you're in a furnace when you're around them and they get you in tough situations. Maybe it's for somebody, we've got, got, got a lot of young people here this morning. Maybe it's their, it's their SATs or perhaps maybe it's their AP stuff. That they've, they've, some of you guys got some of those things coming up. Uh, maybe it's just internal stuff going on and you're not sure what it is. That can happen too. But but the point is this, how do you prosper in these pressure cookers of life? What can we learn from some of this to learn how we can handle these things? And here's the issue, and I think it's an important issue. Um, One must have their character developed when they go through that, because when you get into it, You don't usually have the time then to develop your character. In other words, if you're not ready for it when it comes, the chances are it's going to really bomb you out in one way or another. So my quest then, and your quest, is to think and pray and say, what can I do to make sure that my character is in a place and it's developed to a point that when these pressure cooker situations come up and I get thrown to the lions or I get thrown into the fiery furnace, then I'm going to be able to shine. What can I do to make sure that happens with me? I know in a a crowd this size, I realize that I'm talking to some people who are right flat out in the middle of that fire right now. And there's also a lot of you here who aren't there, and that's good. You can be prepared for when that happens. Three things I want you to think about. They're not a formula. They're just little bullet points to get you to think along these ways. How can I have that kind of... How can I develop that kind of character? First thing is this. Self-examination. Self-examination. You know... There's a passage there's a passage that Paul, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. The Apostle Paul is like the senior guy, and he's advising this young pastor, Timothy. And, and, and look what he tells him. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right, and God will save you and those who hear you. And what he's basically... And I still go back to... You know, Timothy, I always related to that so much. I mentioned this uh, a few times. I always related to that so much because I was about 30 years old when I first became a pastor, and I would always go to Timothy... You know, and that's been a few years ago, and I still go back to Timothy, and I still find great wisdom there from the Apostle Paul. Keep a close watch on yourself. In other words, what he's saying is, watch out for your blind spots. We all have blind spots. Now, I don't know how it might work with you. It's one of the nice things. Somebody told me, most, those of you who come here more than once know that I, I, I'm a golfer. Well, I'm not sure that I can say that I'm a golfer, Um I have a passion for golf. Let me put it that way, okay? To call me a golfer might be just a little bit of a stretch. I love golf. And, and somebody, I have friends who are very good, and they say, you always need someone to watch you swing the, if you want to get better. And their, and their point is, and it happened to me this week, actually, uh, with my friend who's a much, much better golfer than me. He was well, he said, Rich, you're doing this. You're doing this, you're doing this. And then he, he was telling you know, you keep dropping. You don't care about what I did. But anyway... Um, <laughs> You want you to know how not to slice? You want to hear that? Uh, anyway, uh, he's he, he saying you're dropping your foot here. You're doing this. He's just just start doing this. And I started doing what he's telling me to do. I said, "Oh yeah." Did I realize what? It, no, I didn't. Am I blind to that? Well, yeah, that's golf. But you know what? There are some things that are a lot. God forgive me for saying this. There are some things that are a lot more important than golf. Okay. And and, and that has to do with our lives. And that's why we need people in our lives. Hopefully that'll be your mate. Hopefully, that'll be some other people who you trust. It won't be very many. I don't know. Psychology says you, you probably won't have more than uh, close enough people in your life, more than, more than you can count on one hand, certainly not more than two hands. Usually, you know, that's what psychology says, that you can really truly trust. I don't know how true that is, but that's what psychology continues to say. But you need some people in your life who can help you with that with that self-examination. You need to do it. There's a great prayer in the Bible. I pray it all the time, I, it goes like this. It's from Psalms. And you, can, you you probably heard me say it. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me, and my, see if, try, try me and know my anxious thoughts and see. This is the part that I pray a lot. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. That's a great prayer, folks. It's a great prayer for all of us. It's a good way to start your day. It's a good, good way to think about the middle of your day. It's a good way to end your day. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart and try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting life. Self-examination. you got to know who you are, not who you think you are, not who you want to be, not pose into some kind of a role that you think you are going to be or going to act like or, or whatever. you you, you got to be sensitive to the blind spots that can, that can get into all of our lives. It's amazing, isn't it? how some people can go through life and, and have some of these things that just just terrible, terribly glaring at everyone else in terms of personality quirks or whatever. And there's nobody there. I mean, we all have personality quirks. I understand that. But I'm, things, I'm talking about things that, that can hurt people, things that can be harmful, things that can be coarse and damaging, whether it be just to my family or whether it be to others around me. Search me and know my heart. Self-examination. That's one way this character is going to happen in my life. Number two, be honest to God. And I mean that just the way I worded that. Be honest to God. If I'm going to have character, if I'm going to develop the kind of character that I need, to, there is going to be what I call a holy tension. A holy tension between my firm beliefs and sometimes having doubts. Let me ask you a question. Do you not think That when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, were were looking down into those flames. Do you not think that maybe for just a moment there might have been, oh, I wonder if I'm doing the right, I wonder if I should just bow down and get it over with. Or when Daniel was like, you know, would it really hurt just to say some prayer to the stupid king? You know? I mean, don't don't you think maybe some of those thoughts might have entered into their mind? I guarantee you they did, because they're human. They were great people, but they're also human. I want you to see this, because this is important, and this is one of the things that I think sometimes we who are people of faith and and have faith in Jesus, we, we, we sometimes miss, and that is this balance of what I am certain about, and sometimes I still might have a doubt or two to say it the right way. Let me show you 1 Corinthians. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is a great verse. Verse 13. Be on guard. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. Yeah. Charge the hill for Jesus, baby. You know? You know, so to speak. I mean, here we go. Be strong. Don't doubt. No, you know, just go. Okay. Now, let me show you another passage where this guy's wanting wanting his child to be healed. He's talking to Jesus. And it's in Mark chapter 9, I'll show you to you. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. (laughs) I mean, can you see that? I do believe, help my unbelief. I mean, you can almost see that. (laughs) I mean, that contrast going on here. Martin Luther used to say one of his favorite prayers was, Lord, I believe. Now help me, help me, help now in my unbelief. You say, I have, it's okay for me to have a doubt or 2 I'm like, unless you have a frontal lobotomy or something else, how, how would that not be the case? You know? Voltaire put it this way, it's an interesting thought, doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is absurd. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much truth to that. Now, the, the issue is, you know, when, when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into that fire, they didn't know what was going to happen. And they even said that God can deliver. If he chooses to deliver us, we're still not going to worship your God. Daniel had no idea what was going to happen. And I have no doubt Daniel at 80 years old, as he, was being, as he was being lowered into that den of lions, I have no doubt that he was thinking, you know, it's been a good life. I'm 80 and, and God's blessed me and I've seen some cool things and, and, and God's used me. I have no doubt he was saying, okay, here we go. And then God somehow miraculously closed the mouths of those lions. And by the way, the rest of that story, when you go back and read it, after he was rescued and after the king brought him out of that pit, he was so mad he took the guys that had conspired against him and threw them all into that pit and the lions tore them apart. So um, kind of a gross thing. But, I mean, nonetheless, it's, uh, it's what happens. So, you know, sometimes the Bible just doesn't wink at some of these things. So it's, it's the real deal. How is this character going to be developed in my life? Self-examination and being honest. Think through that whole process. Yeah, have faith and develop that faith and and look for ways to to strengthen your faith, but realize that there will be times in the deepest, darkest nights, and it usually comes at night, and it usually comes, at least for me, around three or four o'clock in the morning, and you're thinking, I don't know. You know, what about this thing? God, are you really going to work here? Um, Eugene Peterson who translated what we now know as the Message Bible it's a great Bible said this and I have it for you I want you to see this all the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers there we are we are secure not because we are sure of ourselves but because we trust that God is sure of us and I love that statement I'm not secure because of what of my beliefs or my trust or anything else about me. I'm secure and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sure because there is a God in heaven and I believe, I believe that he'll, he'll act in the way that he says he will act and I've seen that. Not always how I think it will be and sometimes I doubt that he will just for a little while but he does. Let me show you this third thing because it goes right along with these first two. You know, self-examination, be honest Be honest to God. Third thing, discriminate between preference and belief. You know, it is the foolish man who dies for his preferences. But it is the brave person who is captive to his beliefs. And you've got to make a distinction. What would have happened, just to have some fun with this, what would have happened if if Nebuchadnezzar had said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego you guys are, are Methodist, right? Yeah, yeah, we're Methodist. Okay, they didn't have Methodism back then, but that's okay. Um, and I, I'm not picking on the Methodist because I, one of the churches we went to as a child, I was a child was Methodist. My wife was raised Methodist. So we're okay. So okay. So if you're Methodist, no offense. okay. Or I could use Presbyterian. But I'm going to use He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and you're Methodist. If you don't denounce your Methodism and become Baptist, we're going to burn you. Well, let me help you with this. If they had any brains at all, they would have said, well, ahead uh, with Methodism, let's go on over there, okay? <laughs> That's not worth it, okay? Or if they had been Baptist, or if Daniel said, if you quit being a Baptist, you, you're going you're to... You understand my point, right? My, you know, or Catholic, or whatever it happens to be. That is, there is a difference between preferences and beliefs, and nowhere in the Scripture does it say, are you to take a stand for your preferences? Do you have them? Yes, Sure. And continue to have them. Are there some things in your home that you're going to do that maybe somebody else who has the same values and believes the same Bible might not do? Yes, that's fine. We have preferences. But make a distinction between that and your beliefs. What would you die for? That's the question. What would you die for? And I don't know about you, but when you start thinking about through that, I I used to have a long two-page or page-and-a-half deal of things that I can't compromise on. And as I began to grow some a little bit, grow up and, a little get, you know, I'm still working on that and, 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 and develop a little more faith, a little more understanding of the Bible and, 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 and have a better understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God, I began to start paring away some of those things. And now it's just a few lines. and I don't literally have, it's just a few things, but they're pretty important. You know, there's a lot of things I'm not going to die for. But some, there's a few things that I'm very firm that I'm, I'm going to die for. And that's all I'm saying. You know, that's an important issue. Discriminate between preferences and beliefs. That's a good discussion, by the way. That's a good discussion you need to have with somebody you love or a group of people you love or even your family, Let your kids hear that discussion. What would you die for? And what wouldn't you die for? It's a very important, a very important discussion. Concise wrap-up of all this. Let me just show you this. I've used this quote from a Roman senator that I love, and I love, the, I love the, some of his words and don't, don't know much about him other than some of the things I've read. Seneca said this, if you see a man unterrified in the midst of dangers, untouched by desires, happy in adversity, peaceful amid the storm, will you not say a divine power has descended upon this man? And that's so true. Now, those are the lessons. Those are the, the things that you and I need to know as we hit the pressures of life, things that can help us develop character. But I'm missing something here, aren't I? Because the whole theme of the whole series is God out of the box. What, is, what, are, these, what, are, this, what are these stories, this historical narrative, what does this teach us about God? Um, that he's always going to deliver us? Yeah. I think we can say that. Hang on to that thought for a moment because I know what some of you are thinking. Can we glean from this passage that God is always going to pull off last... I mean, is, he, is God Jack Bauer? He's always going to pull off last-minute rescues? You know? Those of you who don't watch 24, I apologize for that remark. It's something that somebody got me hooked on back in the middle of the season, and I'm just... It's, it's crazy, but it's... What can I say? Thank God for TiVo. Anyway, uh, um, Is that what it means? That God's always going to be Jack Bauer right then boom, right in the last second. Is that what that means? Um, I would say yes, it does mean that. But it may not be when we think or in the way that we think. And that's huge right there. I have those words capitalized. It may not be when or the way that we think. Okay. Here's what we do know. Sometimes God will let us go through some of the crap of life. Sometimes he'll let us go through stuff that we just don't really want to go through. And maybe we deserve it, maybe we don't deserve it. Sometimes it's my fault, sometimes it's somebody else's fault, sometimes it's nobody's fault. But he'll let us go through it. But, and I don't do, I don't do this often, but there is one, one, one guarantee. I'm going to offer you one guarantee this morning. And that is this as we have seen from these illustrations in the the historical narrative here. One guarantee, he will always be there with us. He will never let us go. He will still be there for us 24-7. He'll never leave us. He will deliver us in the way that he believes is best, And in the way, and and maybe in a different way than what I think is best. And at a timing that is a lot different than mine. And that's a lot of what we've been talking about in this whole series. when We talked about who God is and what he can do. And I thank God when you look back on that. You know, know, as the country song says, thank God for unanswered prayers. Because some of the prayers that I have prayed, I'm glad God didn't answer them later on. Sometimes it's years down the road that he acted in a way that he knew was best, because he has the big picture in mind. He's still there with you no matter what. Let me, come on up. Uh, I want you to, come on up guys and and, and Jamie. Um, We're going to close the service with a prayer, as we always do, but this time the prayer is going to be sung. Jamie's going to sing it for us. And it's a song that um, has been a lot to Charlene and I. We we first were introduced to this song or form of it. Um, Several years ago, we were going through some difficult times, and and uh, as it turned out, we had some time. I had just resigned as a, the church where I had been. And we had some time and looking for stuff to do and just kind of hanging. And I went with some friends of mine who, who, were, do, who were on a concert. And I always like being around musicians just because I keep thinking some of it will rub off on me, but it hasn't. But, but uh, we were just hanging with them. And, and I heard this song. We heard this song several times. And for us and where we were at the time, it just really, it was like a, It was like one of those, you know, just one of those mega God moments in your life. And uh, listen, it's a prayer. It's really a prayer. And uh, just listen carefully as she sings this and make this your prayer as well.